Oh, well, welcome back again, everyone who's online and watching and everybody here. Uh, good to see everyone here in this, yes, Gaudate Sunday. Um, my old college roommate, he's Episcopalian, he has uh, for Gaudate Sunday special, he has a special rose-colored vestments and changes the altar to rose color. Um, I'm not that uh, liturgically correct. I'm not sure what the finance committee would say if I told them we needed to buy all rose-colored vestments for one day of the year, but uh, it is. We remember it with the pink candle. Uh, but this Advent, this Advent I've been trying to go through different themes that I think are important in our spiritual life uh, this season. And we've looked at, the past couple weeks, we've looked at hope, uh, we've looked a little bit at patience. This week, we're going to look at Mick Jagger's favorite Advent theme, uh, Satisfaction. Um, I, don't know how, I don't know how many remember, a little bit of an aside, but I don't know how many of you remember when he did the Super Bowl, and I don't know how many years ago that was, and he got up, and he grabbed the microphone, and he goes, oh, I'm so old, I could have been doing Super Bowl one. And I was thinking to myself, you're so old, you and Keith Richards were there when Cain killed Abel. You know, you were testifying for the prosecution. I agree, Lord, it was his rock, he used it. Keith saw it too. But either way, I'm going to talk about satisfaction, or really, honestly, the lack, of, the, the lack of it because of how deeply it affects our views of ourselves, uh, how we relate to God, how we act in so much of our lives. Uh, I think, honestly, that lack of satisfaction is a very powerful motivator for us in a lot of things. Uh, you know, and, and when you think about it, of course, you know, when you are full, you are not looking for food, right? The one time you know that the refrigerator is safe from your children is the, that Thursday afternoon of Thanksgiving, right? Nobody's running for a snack. Why? Because we're all full. We are all quite satisfied with the food we had. Nobody's raiding the fridge. But if we are hungry, right? Then suddenly we're going into the pantry and trying to figure out how to make something with nothing but unsweetened cocoa and uh, baking soda. And we may or may not try to make a recipe out of that. But to give you an example of how powerful in our lives this, this lack of satisfaction thing is, uh, it just I was reminded of this study, and I'm sure you might have read about it in the news, it came out from Facebook, I'm sorry, Meta Industries, and uh, it was an internal study that a whistleblower had brought up, and it, it showed uh, that Instagram, which Facebook Meta Industries owns, um, that they had done on Instagram, and it showed uh, that there was a sort of a statistical correlation that teenage girls who spent a lot of time on Instagram had more problems with self-esteem and self-image and mental health than those who did not use Instagram as much. And, um, uh, and in fact, Facebook knew this. They did not publish the study to anyone. And Mark Zuckerberg, being the deeply emotional, empathetic person that he is, uh, did absolutely nothing at all with that study and changed nothing. Because, of course, what matters to him is keeping you watching things, right? Because the more you watch, the more ads you sell, the more his stocks go up, and, um, right? And so that's what matters to him. 
And what was causing the problem was the endless viewing of people who had all these things that we didn't have, but wished we had, right? You go on Instagram and like, everybody's got a prettier body, everybody's got more friends, everybody's got more experiences, everybody stands at that weird tunnel thing in Sedona, you know, at perfectly at sunset, everybody's got a whole bunch of besties that they're eating at, you know, the Thunderbird Grill, you know, all the time. Um, they all have the most hunky boyfriends and, and, and bridesmaids named Ashley. I mean, everybody's got a better life. You go on Instagram, everybody's got a better life than you, it seems. Now, we all kind of know, I think at some level, don't we, that these, this is very carefully chosen stuff, right? You know, people are very carefully curating the things that they want you to see. They're picking their best things. And we know that the influencers, they're staging all this, right? They're not just standing at that tunnel thing in Sedona. They got a professional photographer sitting there with a camera this big that costs more than my truck, right? And, and we, we know this kind of at some level. We know they're posing it and photoshopping out the acne and all these things, but yet it's still a little bit like crack. You still keep going through and you're like, man, I should go check out that tunnel thing in Sedona, right? And if, you, if, and if it's not, if you're not that versed, and how Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, how these algorithms work, uh, you, 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 ha you have to understand how they control what you see. Uh, and the way they work is, I mean, it's fairly simple. You post something, and then from that, they try to guess what it is you like. And they make that guess based on how you interact with the program. So if you go and you uh, like or comment or share something, they register that, the algorithm. Uh, takes notes of that, right? That's why I'm always standing up front telling everybody, when you go, go to the Lord of Grace, uh, go to our Facebook pages and just click on, just, all you have to do is keep clicking that like button. It, the it pleases the algorithm when you do that. Um, but it actually will pay attention. So say you've got lots of friends who like hunting and you're scrolling through and then suddenly, you know, you're clicking on hunting posts. Well, next thing you know, out of all your different friends on things, suddenly all the dead deer pictures are going to show up in your post, and you're going to go, man, I got a lot of friends in Wisconsin. <laughs> and um, you'll see all these, you know, and, and that's what we'll do. And if you don't believe me, I did an experiment one time. Um, I've actually done this a couple times. I thought, what if I just went on Amazon and picked something random that I wouldn't normally buy and see, if, see what the algorithm does? So I started looking up carburetors because I thought there's something that I, would, I will never ever install in my life. So I'm Googling, I'm looking up carburetors, and I, I made a point of like clicking on them and opening them, and sure enough, there it is on Facebook, ads for carburetor wrenches. And, uh, and I'm like, wait, are Zuckerberg and Bezos talking to each other when they're, uh, you know? But this is how it works, right? And, um, and so, and not even that, but I found out that it's not just even what you click on, it's how long you look at something. So the algorithm's trying to figure out what you unconsciously like. So you may be scrolling through, and you may see that, that hot blonde and go, oh yeah, wait, I'm not clicking on that. I don't want Facebook thinking things about me. The fact that you sit there for a while, they notice that too. And so that'll show up, even if you never click on it. It's like, it's like the matrix, I mean the algorithm, is noticing what you're doing. Right? And what do we unconsciously like? 
We unconsciously like to look at beautiful people and beautiful sunsets and, and material goods and, and great trips and, and, all the, and, and great dinners with friends we wish we had. You know, we like those things, even if we look at, look at it, this particular profile and we know that it's probably doctored or maybe fake. And all of this, if you're somebody who's already kind of awkward about yourself, or, or not sure what you feel about yourself, and you're sitting there in a highly clicky, you know, competitive teenage world, you know, not that I know anything about being awkward in, in, in middle school at all, or having acne. I had so much acne, it was so bad when I was in middle school, you couldn't have touched my forehead in any place and not hit it. It was so bad. I, I had girls were throwing numbers at me all the time. I couldn't know what to do with so. But thank God I didn't have Instagram to sit there and feel bad about myself, you know? Because what you're doing all day is you're looking at what you lack, what you don't have, what you can't afford to do, what, you're, what kind of body you're not born with, but it seems like everybody wants instead of yours. And, and, this is, and, and so it all becomes about what you lack. And this is why this is really a bigger issue than just what you see when you scroll on your phone, because where your heart is, there your soul will be also. Historically, uh, Advent, the, the typical Advent sermon was always about material goods, right? If, if, if you were a pastor in the 80s, it was real easy to do the Advent materialism sermon. You know, it's about the manger, not about the mall. <laughs> and the kids are going, the mall? Isn't that that big empty thing by the movie theater? Kind of behind the Walmart? Who'd go to the mall in Advent? And I'm like, you know, but th that's what it was, right? It was about the stuff, the guest jeans, the, the, the members' jackets, all that kind of stuff, you know? And what, but now, I think what drives our, our sense of emptiness and lack, it, it is material, but it's much more these experiences, and it's the appearance. It's the vacations you can't afford and the body you weren't born with us, and that leaves us looking at our own lives and feeling dissatisfied. And you say, okay, Lars, so what's your answer? Well, I try to see things spiritually as much as I can. And I think that what we're dealing with is something deeper in our souls that, that is a little harder to fix than just a simple, you know, you're good the way you are kind of pitch, which I agree with. But it, the fix is deeper than that. It's a whole disposition to life that is unsatisfied and always focused deep inside on things it doesn't have. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're not a teenager. If I told you right now to list three things about yourself that you would change, if, if a genie popped out of a bottle, said, I'll give you three things about yourself, I'll change. Because, man, you never had a friend like me, right? And he pops out of the bottle, so they'll give you three things to change. How long would it take you to think of those three things? Or have you already thought about them? Probably didn't take a lot of soul searching, did it? Because they're probably not buried in the back of your mind. They're probably right in the front of your mind, right? You know what it is. If, if I told you, if I told you to describe for me the dream car and the dream house and the dream vacation for yourself, how long would it take you to answer that question? Right? You probably could answer all three of them in probably seconds. Right? And I could if I had told you to tell me about the dream, 
the three things you could do to your house, what would they be? Open concept, granite countertop, taupe walls, close to restaurants and family. Oh wait, you've been watching HGTV, haven't you? I mean, talk about a channel that's all about getting you inspired about what you lack, right? Hi, she makes artisanal soaps and he's a kindergarten teacher. Their budget is 750000 Dude, I need to teach kindergarten in Toronto, man. That must, be where, that must be where the money is. I don't know, but I'll bet, you know, we can think about, I'll bet we, we can think of what we don't have and wish we had in seconds because it's right there. We may not be deeply unhappy, but we know what we lack, and we all have that part of ourselves that is always unsatisfied with it. So, let's go back a little bit. And look at the story of God's people. Let's bring this, back to, bring this back to that Advent story. And I know in Advent, I'm always retelling that story about God's people before, before Jesus because it all, it, it, all, it all builds up, right? What was going on with God's people? Well, they were dealing with a similar issue, right? You will find in that Old Testament story after story after story of the people of God doing stupid stuff because they envied other countries and they wanted to be like them and they wanted to have what they had. The worst example was when they wanted a king. That's 1 Samuel, right? At, that, at this point, they didn't have a king. They were just tribes. And when they needed something, they went to God and they said, God, God, can you help me out with the Amorites are attacking? And God would say, all right, I gotcha. And then poof, there goes the Amorites. They're running away, right? This was how it worked. And God said, I gotcha. I got everything taken care of. I've, I've given you this land. I'll take care of your enemies for me. Just trust me. And then the people said, but, but, but we want to have a, a big empire like, like the Egyptians and the, the Hittites and, and all these other places. And, and God said, no, you don't want a king. You don't want to be like them. And they're like, oh, yeah, we really, really do. And God said, okay, um, let me tell you how bad it's going to be. And then there's like two paragraphs of the Bible with a long laundry list of how bad it's going to be if you sell yourself out to a king. I mean, down to, they'll take your horses, your goats, your chariots. I mean, all this kind of stuff. And what did they do? They said, yeah, that's okay. Give us a king anyways. Why? Because they envied what the others had. They envied that sense of glory and pride that they thought that Egypt and, and the Hittites and the uh, whatever had, and they wanted that. They envied it. They weren't, they weren't happy with what God had given them. They were obsessed with what they didn't. And so they sold out to a king. And what happened? Well, they had a couple, they had a good, one good one, another one that was kind of bad, a whole bunch that were fairly bad, and then it all ended. Not a, not, not a, not a great story. And so you get this scene where God is telling them, look, I gave, you, I gave you everything you needed, and all you wanted was what you lacked. If you're satisfied in your heart and your soul with what God has done for you, and what God has given you, then you don't have that same lack in your life of things that need to be filled let me give you a couple psalms. A couple psalms. Nine, we'll start with 91. Uh, when they call to me, this is the Lord speaking, when they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. And then Psalm 90 here. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So in that first one, in 91, you got God making a promise, right? 
The people need something, God says, I will take care of it. I'll even, I'll even give long life and show them salvation. What a great phrase. Show them salvation. I kind of sat there, what does that mean? Show me salvation. Is that going to, is that going to show me what it's going to look like? Is that going to show me a, a way for myself forward? Is that going to show me, you know, it's kind of, is it showing me God's presence? I don't know exactly, but I'd take it if it was offered. But getting back to that verse, God will answer and God will satisfy. And then in Psalm 90, it talks about starting out the day with God's love, which leaves you satisfied all your days. I wonder if this is a little bit, maybe morning is kind of a code for childhood, you know? How you begin your life when you begin satisfied, you don't go through the rest of your life always craving what you don't have. Um, and notice that what satisfies is God's presence and God's love and what God shows us. Psalm 17, I'll give you one more. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied, beholding your likeness. So the, psalm, the psalmist is asking for a dream from God. Give me a dream, God, so I can see your face. Give me a vision, a presence that will be so powerful that it will satisfy me. And what satisfies spiritually? Presence, love, and listening. This is what God offers that satisfies. It's not material stuff. It's not a makeover. It's not money. It's not fame. It's all this relational stuff. Being there. Loving. Listening. And isn't that what really satisfies you? I mean, if you think about it, isn't that, isn't that what we really want? Isn't that why we want the buff body and the fancy trips? So that we can get the presence and the love and the listening that we crave. I mean, it's not even the thing we want. It's the promise that that thing we want will get us what we really want and fill that void in us. That it will fill that lack. That there's something deep in here in our hearts and our souls. And when you rest your heart and your soul with God, you've already shortcutted over all that stuff that you think you want. The looks and the fame and the money and the whatever. We want those things so that they will get us love. If you rest in God's presence and you open yourself up to God's love, you're already there and all that stuff becomes irrelevant. Presence, love, listening. Maybe I'd add things like vulnerability, trust, acceptance. These are things that make life rich and full. And God offers them to us free of charge. But it's almost like there's this fear that if I just take them free of charge, then I might not, I might not be caring as much about all that stuff. And then I know that stuff, then what's gonna, my life going to look like? And my whole thing will change. And oh my gosh. Or maybe it's just the vulnerability. If I open myself up to God, let God in, then I gotta, you know, then God's going to see all these parts of myself that I kind of know he already knows, but I don't want to admit to myself, so I don't talk to him about it. Uh. But when you take the time to push aside what you think you want and spend your time seeking the presence and the love of God, your soul will be satisfied. And when you do the same thing in your life, where you seek out the relationships and the friendships and the connections and the community and the sharing and the listening and the being with each other, then life starts to be satisfied. 
And when that happens, you can rest your soul in peace and calm as God promises and God intends. Amen.